Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. Guys, every episode, it is my joy, honor, and privilege to have these great conversations with great people all over the world making great things for kids. I am excited about the show today. I have two phenomenal guests, Bill Nichols and Peter Schmiel. Let me introduce you to them. Bill and Peter are the co-owners of Blip Toys. The duo is known for being fast-reacting, trend-driven, and expert at finding unique business opportunities in toys. With over two decades in the toy industry, Blip has found success by developing innovation on top of proven play patterns. Hit products include Palace Pets, Zumo, Mega Hit, Squinkies, and many, many more. Bill, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you guys on the show. Been following Blip Toys, I think, since the creation of Blip Toys. And of course, just Squinkies blowing it out of the park. But so many great products that, that we want to talk about. And, and I love the way that you guys think about the toy industry and think about innovation and find that white space. And we're going to dive all into that. But I'll start where we start. Uh, Bill, you first. How did you come to be involved in the toy industry? Well, actually, Phil, it's quite a funny story. I started out of college in the early 80s, and I went directly into Hasbro Toys. I went through a total of seven interviews, which is really interesting to have seven interviews. After each interview, I wanted this job even more. I was so committed. This was the perfect job. Now, to put it in perspective, Hasbro in the early 80s had launched Transformers, G.I. Joe, and My Little Pony for the first time. And I, I say the first time because they've been so many iterations since. Um, they all were incredibly successful. And then reality hit. It was October when I started. And my job was to tell the retailers what they weren't going to get for Christmas. One of the biggest retailers or accounts that I had at the time was Coast to Coast Hardware. They were mm. massive in the 80s. And they ordered 300,000 My Little Ponies. My job was to tell them that they were going to get 75,000. And this is right before Christmas. And then it went on and on. Every account that I went to, it was just always bad news, bad news. Now, to put it in perspective, they ordered this product back in February at Toy Fair, which was what the thing was. Big show. They order it at the show. And I wanted out so bad. I was miserable. I was looking. I, I just like this is I have made the single biggest mistake of my life. Fortunately, I didn't find another job. And then new words crept into my vocabulary. Fashion, trend, inventory management, allocation. And the whole toy thing just got into my blood. Um, fast pace, ever changing innovation. It was, it was like, it was super fun at the time. So, um, it was just, it was really cool. Then the real education happened for me after I left Hasbro, I joined a large rep firm, Dan Bucky Associates. Oh yes. And, and there I got to work with smaller accounts, hungry, innovative companies, and they would let you have an impact with them so you could build lines with them. So it was so rewarding helping them create product lines. And that's, as I said, where my real education happened. Then we went to toying around and then blip toys. And that's kind of the short course of um, how I got into the industry. 
Do you think that Hasbro had you go through seven interviews to make sure that you had the grit to do the thing that they wanted you to do, which was to go tell everybody no? <laughs> I, I, it, it, it was brutal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for hanging in there, Bill. Great story. You know, lesser men would have walked away. But, uh, you know, following up on that, you talk about fashion and trend and then inventory management. You got excited about inventory management. That's interesting. What, what was it about inventory management that that clicked with you? Well, here's the thing. Like when you first come in and you don't understand the big picture, I'd mentioned that they ordered 300,000 pieces in February and they were getting 75. Well, what I learned, they had, they never wanted 300,000 pieces. Everybody was trying to game the game, meaning I got to tell them I want more than I need because I know I'm never going to get what I ask for. Mm. So, so that's where the whole inventory management, then what happened is inventory point of sale came in and it all went away because people knew what they had on it. And yeah. so, so the whole business has changed. But when we first got in there, people didn't have inventories. They yeah. just like remembered, oh yeah, that was it. That was successful. That wasn't, give me 300,000 pieces. <laughs> it, was, it was a poker game. Yeah, you're, you're exactly. I mean, to guess the intent behind the, yeah. Uh, great. Uh, Peter, what about you? How did you come to be in this crazy industry? Well, um, my background's in design, and uh, being here in Minneapolis, um, there was a lot, and there still is, a lot of ex-Tonka toy people. And so when Tonka shuttered their doors and, and moved, um, left a lot of talented people and you know got to know some of them through different design associations, and in particular, hooked up with an ex-director uh, uh, of inventor relations. So he, he turned his mind into... Um, invention. And so I, I learned the toy industry through the invention side. And I just was enamored with this constant need for new product. I, I, I just didn't see myself getting, you know, put into a, a Hasbro or a Mattel, you know, working on one product line for the rest of my life. So I just, the bug of creation and new concepts was just, was so exciting to me. And, and I've, I've loved it ever since. It's really neat to hear that you made the conscious decision to do a lot of things, to not get stuck managing one brand for a long time. And I think that's paid off, uh, especially at Blip. So let's talk about Blip. And I want to start with the mega hit. Take us back, guys, uh, before 2010. What's on the market before Squinkies hits? Um, where does that idea come from? Of course, in retrospect, Squinkies just an amazing idea, taking the concept of the ubiquitous gumball machine and turning it into a toy that, that kids can interact with every day. It's a great idea. Where did it come from? Yeah, so so a couple things. I mean, we, you know, as any toy company does, we obviously look at the market and look at you know, different categories. And we've always been enamored with the girls collectible category. Um, a lot of innovation uh, tends to be put in that category and is accepting of, of, of new product concepts. And so as we looked at that category and we looked at other trends, you know, the trend that was happening um, that we saw was, was basically capsule toys uh, in vending machines, you know, at grocery stores and, you know, malls and things like that. And we saw this, you know, incredible, you know, small collectible just, you know, waiting to be brought to mass market. So, you know, we, we made the leap. We said, look at wh 
let's make this a mass market concept and um, and run from it. And obviously the the, the gumball as a playset, the gumball machine as a playset was just a natural fit. So you had this incredible play pattern, uh, but now worked in the formula of having pegged collectibles along with playsets. So it just was a natural. Uh, people understood at retail what these things were. So there was very little education required. Right, right. Well, was there any pushback, guys? Um, you know, gumball machine toys typically are considered really low price point, really cheap. It's that cheap thrill. Was there a concern by buyers or people that saw the product? Well, are we, what are we saying? Are we saying that these are, are cheap or did they just see the quality right off the bat? You know, they they really saw the quality because the paint spray ops, the detail on these things were were so much better than what was in the marketplace. But one of the things that we hit on that it wasn't intentional at the time, but we think one of the biggest parts of the success was with one purchase, the kid became a collector. And what I mean by that is you got 16 squinkies on one card so they were a collector and then they went from 16 to 400 because they wanted to buy 30 cards. So it was a really big part of the success for 10 bucks. You were in and committed with one purchase. You had a handful. You had a collection after only one purchase of $10. Right. That's a that's a breakthrough. Yeah, because that, that, that's my follow up question. You know, we have all sat and pondered what makes a great collectible. What is it about collectibles that really makes some sing for years and, and others go away into the night quickly? Anything else besides that? But I think that's a really key point you bring up, Bill. You gave them a collection in one purchase. So, so a couple of other things, you know, the. The world moves fast when you look at what's happening with the internet and stuff. So when you go back to when we launched Squinkies, there weren't influencers like there are now. The whole word of mouth thing was interesting, but what was it was the start of mommy bloggers. So we really connected in early with a lot of the mommy bloggers and we sent out tons of samples to them. And it's it was basically the the beginning part of where the influencer really took off in a big way, but that really helped us. The other thing that was really interesting is the reaction was immediate. Of course, we had the media, we had the television. Walmart was first to market. And as soon as it hit, it just, it just from week one, it just took this line straight up into the clouds, which was, it was fun and exciting. Another key attribute I throw in there is that you know, it was just, a, I think, a, mi- a miss uh, in the toy industry was really the use of uh, TPR or synthetic rubber. And there's a tactile quality to this that kids today still love. And so it it was another attribute, if you will, in this collectible that made it special over just a hard figure. And the brand name was just brilliant, Squinkies. I mean, just just a phenomenal uh, title for a product. Uh, Bill, you mentioned mommy bloggers and, and influencers, and I want to take the conversation there. Blip was one of the early adopters of really leaning into influencers, YouTube stars, Tic Tac Toy, Ninja Kid, and building products around these YouTube brands. Take us inside the early days of that, the early conversations of that, before this was really a proven delivery system of great product. These were you know proven brands. Kids would come and watch 
but would they buy product based on what they saw? Bill, tell us about developing that. Yeah, so, so great question. Um, so Ryan, Ryan's world was one of the biggest ones and he came into the scene and it was massively huge and the numbers were big. And then that kind of led for everybody else to do it. So we were one of the first ones to come in after that, but Ryan really was the first one that paved the way. So working with influencers is challenging and fun. Um, What's challenging is that the influencers, they don't have big marketing support. You know, we work with Disney, we work with Nickelodeon, we work with everybody. And so they don't have that big picture of what licensing is. So for us, it's a lot of education, which was kind of fun. Education on timelines, on retailers, on pricing structures. But what was so rewarding about that is when you worked with them to develop the product. So our biggest concerns and our biggest questions with influencers when we started out is we asked ourselves the, the very simple question, what do they stand for? In other words, can we build a toy line around what they stand for? There's so many big influencers that have so many big names, but they're so broad. Like, what does it mean? I'll give you some examples. Coco Melon, which is another huge one. Coco Melon is about music. Ninja Kids for us was about its relatable action and martial arts. So we can build something there. And then Tic Tac Toy was another one we identified early. And this is cute, fun, girls collectible. So everything for us was, can we break this down and turn it into a toy line? And then can we work with somebody who is willing to help be educated and then we can grow together? Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, and then your influencers have a core audience. Uh, They have a fan base that will likely buy into that product, but then creating product that will grow beyond that core audience. Was that in the back of your mind as you were developing this product? Um, You really had to, to walk that line between delivering something that the core audience would love, but also something that could stand alone uh, as a great product. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's to, to one of Bill's first points about developing assets and, you know, hopefully working with a partner that that wants to grow with you because they're not Disney. They, they don't have these mature style guides and, and product guides. So you have to be very sensitive to that brand and at the same time create something that other people will want just inherently. You know, to Ninja Kids point, you know, kids love ninjas. So it was it's an easier story to tell to a non ninja kids fan. Um, and you know, the other, the other challenge too, is to make sure that whatever product comes out in the way that the influencer potentially shows them on their channel becomes genuine. Um, because people today on all social media platforms really are looking for things that are genuine, not just advertisements. Um, so it really has to be um, well woven into their brand. It has to be authentic. It's a great point. One of my favorite blip toys and and what I think is one of, if not the best try me in the aisle is Zumo. That package, that product, the ability for a child to pull that trigger, the propeller spins inside the net and then launches inside the package uh, is a huge payoff moment in, in the aisle. I'd like to go behind the scenes and talk about that item and the development of that package in particular, uh, because that is a, that's a great try me. Yeah, we we agree. And it's I think it's on its 15th year now. So obviously a testament to, to the product. 
listen, anytime, uh, you know, we can create a product that is self-explanatory on the shelf, you know, just goes miles, uh, you know, towards sales versus something next to it that requires education and or massive TV budgets to really educate the consumer. So, you know, we mentioned it with Squinkies. It's you see the capsules in the package. There's no education. People understand it. So we're always striving for that. Um, we, we came upon this item and we we just knew that that it had this potential and, you know, to put basically a commercial into the package without having to run television. So, um, and since then, I think we've probably developed over a dozen Zumo items, and most of them have what we call that try-a-fly package, which allows the consumer to, to launch the product and then reset itself. Yeah, yeah, very smart. Uh, Bill, I mentioned it in the introduction, this, this ability that you guys have of finding unique business opportunities, and, and, and one that I want to key in on, uh, as Toys R Us was closing down, they had several internal brands that um, somehow ended up at Target. Bill, do you know anything about that? <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Do you have another question? <laughs> oh, I've got a lot. I've got a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, we're, we're, we're always looking for opportunity and there's always opportunities around every corner. So, so when it was evident that, um, that Toys R Us was not going to survive, we studied really hard all of their private label brands that they had. What's really interesting and a lot of people don't know is they did well over $100 million worth of private label business in 600 stores. Um, so we looked at a lot of them and we really focused on the ones that, well, what makes the most sense? What can be best? And so we really studied Animal Planet and True Heroes. And the reason we started with them is the size, the uniqueness, and the scalability of each one of them. So I'll start with Animal Planet. So, so Animal Planet is an evergreen. It appeals to all ages. It's a boy, it's girl, and it can be adapted to a ton of different materials, plastic, plush, wood, et cetera. So that was, we're like, oh my God, what a Petri dish this could be if we were able to do that. And it was a natural transition for an exclusive product line. So we have great relationships with all of the retailers. So we said, you know what, let's have discussions. So we went in and we had discussions with Target and we said, hey, here's what we'd like to do. If we're able to transition, here's some ideas of how we can do it. And they were 100% on board. Then we had to go through the tedious process of like, okay, can we get the license? Where do we go? We got to work through the, the design phase and all of that. And then Animal Planet is still incredibly successful. It's an own brand for Target and it is, um, it's massive. Now, True Heroes is a little bit tougher. The reasons for that is True Heroes, its focus was on military and military weapons. So the optics are very different from an Animal Planet and it made it more difficult. So we modified the brand to hero force to kind of lighten it up, make it and just make it more about heroes. And the biggest challenge with that is it's big box sets. So the reason it was so successful at Target, I mean, at, at TRU is because they were these massive sets for 50, 60, $70. But the biggest problem is space is the limiter for mass market. 
And it made it tougher and tougher to transition over to Target because to devote and dedicate that type of space is tougher. It was successful, but at the end of the day, the amount of space that it needed to sell the big play sets, they decided that they needed to go in a different direction. Um, but it was very fun and still very successful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Target has definitely owned that brand uh, and ha- has just uh, done very, very well with it. Um, several sections, I think, of Animal Planet, I, I continue to see in, in my uh, targets around me. Um, I-, I love this idea of, of finding those opportunities, of, of finding those white spaces and asking the questions that, that lead us to opportunities. Um, for example, Palace Pets. The question is, why don't Disney princesses have pets? Right. <laughs> I don't know that anyone had ever thought of this before. <laughs> uh, tell us about that and, and then developing that. And I could imagine that Disney sort of had a hand to the forehead moment. Uh, why didn't we think of this? A hundred percent. And what's really interesting is after they got it, they turned it into a television show. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so that, so it was like one of those aha moments, like, well, of course they need to have pets and all of that. The challenge is just where it comes from and how does it go? But, oh, that was so fun to develop and work with Disney in creating every one of those great example, as I mentioned, influencers. So influencers, we were saying we had to do a lot of education about products and where it goes. Well, with Disney, all of a sudden we're hooked up with this giant mega team that is helping us develop all of these things. And then, as I mentioned, they turned it into a television show. So it was just a great partnership that really grew quickly as soon as we got that over the edge. And um, and that was really fun. The other big thing that we did and that we looked at, and Peter was really a big one behind this, was it was about what is the size? So clearly the size has to be in the right scale to the Disney princess dolls themselves. But that scale allowed us to hit price points and play sets and everything that really made this into the uh, the size that it was. Yeah, and some of more of the, the history of that too is, is that, you know, in talking about squinkies, I mean, when squinkies blew up, we became a major licensee with Disney and, and just about every licensor on the planet. And so we already had a great relationship with them and that grew into us doing um, I think well over 500 novelty products with Disney and Marvel and so forth and so on. So we already were inside the machine, if you will, and understood and had great relationships with all their teams. So it was it was a logical step as we're designing products for you know novelty and such um, to to expand. And to Bill's point, you know, the the scale was also you know. What was also happening at that time was, you know, of course, Lilith's Pet Shop was still thriving. And, and that obviously was a very kind of formatted price point size that worked really well for for Palace Pets. So it was just a, it was just a great line that just that just blew up. Yeah. And you were adding to the Disney princess story, which is a really interesting place for a designer to be. Uh, Peter, you, you, <laughs> you know, you kind of wanted to avoid uh, being pigeonholed into one particular brand, but you found yourself adding to the, what do you call it? The Disney mythos of, <laughs> of Disney princesses. Uh, I imagine that was a lot of fun. 
It was. It was. It certainly was was exciting, and and the visibility there was, uh, of course, very very large. I mean, they they you know they developed not only TV, they developed apps. I think they had like the number one app for about nine months. You know, just massive, where these kids would take care of these pets. So it was it was obviously a very logical uh, association for then the young girl and boy to say, well, geez, I love princesses and I love Disney, and now I want to take care of the Disney world instead of having a relationship with their their doll they could have a different relationship with the pet so that's right that's right well guys we've talked about finding the white space hunting the trend uh, products being self-explanatory let's talk about some new products really excited uh to mention zip links here and then gigabot energy cores bill let's start with zip links this is a brilliant new take on classic domino play uh yeah so um we're super excited as you said it's a take on domino play so they're high flying chain reaction activity sets if you will and they deliver an eye-popping reaction so you load, you link, you launch. That's the tagline. So basically what it is, is you take a zip link, which is a 3.3 inch X-shaped interlocking clip. You close the clip and then you link the clips to the other clips or the other zip links. And then you launch them. And these things shock you. They fly up <laughs> three feet in the air. And then we added balls these little like ping pong style balls and these things shoot up eight feet in the air. So it's truly a visual wow when you do this and it goes so fast and it's so incredible and it's like, okay, I got to do it over and I want to do it over. So what really excited us about where this is going and what we can do with it is this is perfect for creating tons of wild designs, but it's perfect for TikTok. It's perfect for kids can become their own creative geniuses. They can create their own content and then they can start uploading this. So we think that we really might be on something that can easily become viral because of how they can attach them, how they can do. They just take a quick video of it. They send it out there, but it's super fun. Um, and um, it appeals to mom, to dad, to kids. It's all ages. So we really like the idea that this thing is could be as wide. Well, kids love chain reaction and kids love explosions, but this is an explosion that you can control, that you can contain, that you can have in your house and laugh about. Yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and it's safe. You don't get hurt, but it is. And they, it, it, I'll tell you, it's they are fun. They really are just super fun. And, and what's what what's really fun. And of course, we, we can't see them happening, but, you know, kids today with their phones. I mean, it's so fun to capture this and run it in slow-mo. It's oh, yes. amazing watching this happen in slow-mo. It's, it's just crazy. And then, of course, to share to your friends. So we think there's a great viral component about the brand. Let's shift over to Gigabots. There's a lot of push in the industry uh, about packaging, reducing packaging, reusing packaging. And uh, this has a fantastic uh, reusable packaging component, uh, which I love as a father, just because all of the pieces can be contained and stored. Uh, but tell us about Gigabots. Well, thank you for acknowledging on the sustainability piece of it, because it's such a big push. So so with this action figure category, people have come to us. It's like, why are you going into the action figure business? And um, because it's difficult and it's and it's owned by all of the big brands. So we really studied it. And there's four things that really stuck out to us. The first one is 
incredibly high price points and they're and they're accelerating. Number two was the size and value was diminishing. The prices are going up and the figures are getting smaller. Number three was this unboxing is still a thing. Unboxing isn't going away, but is there a new twist on it? And then the last piece you mentioned in the question is the sustainability push from the consumer. So what we did is we kind of took all four of those and rolled them into the energy core. So it's basically a package that literally transforms into a giant 13-inch figure. So inside that energy core, which is this round ball, it's 33 individual pieces and they break apart and you snap them together to build this giant figure. So um, it's super fun. It's easy to do. But then what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that you could disassemble it and put it back into the sphere. So there's no waste. So so that's where we're able to get the value of the product because the plastic doesn't get thrown away. It just gets reused. You build it up, you build it down. And then we're launching with six of them, which is kind of cool because now you can mix and match. So you can take arms and legs and parts from ones and you can literally create your own characters. And then we wanted to drive it at a price point. So this is all at $16.99. When you compare it to other 1699 figures out there, it's just, it's not even a comparison. So we really feel we had something on the value, the fun, and the play aspect. So we're pretty excited about where this could go. Another feature that we built into is, is posability. There is actually, it's crazy, but there's 22, excuse me, 21 points of articulation. Um, so the, the poses you can get with these characters is, is really amazing. And so again, with today's cameras and kids, uh, there's a great viral component about, you know, taking photos, setting things up. Um, it, it's, it's really an amazing uh, figure from that perspective. You know, one of the challenging things about that action figure aisle is that you are up against the big brands, but those big brands have big stories, sometimes stories that have been told for decades. I'm thinking about Transformers and G.I. Joe and Masters of the Universe, uh, Star Wars, um, is there a component here where you're developing out a story or is the play just wonderful, wonderful toy product that kids will keep coming back to time and time again? hundred percent. There's an origin story. There's animation. So we're launching with a three minute animation, which tells the backstory of how gigabots have been buried in earth for the millennium, how they got there. And then it's all kind of tied back in. Each one of the figures has an individual personality because with boys, it's all about the intent of like boys want to become their toys. And there's so you got to give them as much as possible about humor and personalities within each one of them. But yes, yeah, so not only the commercial, but the backstory and the hope down the road is absolutely that we're going to turn this into its own series. Perfect. Well, let's broaden this out, guys. This has been a fantastic conversation. I think my listeners are going to want to rewind, re-listen, go back through. There are some brilliant nuggets in here that I think my listeners can take away from. Uh, but let's talk about you know current state of the industry. Um, what are the challenges? What are the opportunities? And then uh, finally, I have a lot of inventors that listen. Uh, what would you like to see from them? Are there uh, particular categories you're looking at? How would you like to work with them? Yeah, I'll jump in on the invention side because typically I'm the the first person to kind of review. Listen, I mean, we, we came from being inventors. We we love inventors. We love working with inventors. Um, it is always challenging because, you know, in the old days, we used to get the list like this is Hasbro's list. This is, you know, 
whoever's list on product categories. And, and generally speaking, you know, there are certain categories that we're more likely to go into. We talked about small dog collectibles, um, you know, as one category, for example. Um, I, I think what really, really hits it for us is something that's truly innovative. Um, you know, there's lots of, of concepts out there, but, you know, from a retail perspective, you know, if you said, well, geez, I want to take on Barbie, you know, it, it inherently has a has a challenge there that's 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 dang near impossible. So, you know, finding the right balance for opportunities is really the key uh, innovation. Um, anything that's potentially patentable or technology uh, also has is something we're looking for so that we can really leverage it to uh, to grab people's attention because you really have to have something truly unique and exciting to to get that buyer's attention yeah the only other thing that i'll add to that is we look at ourselves as really a speedboat amongst the cruise ships one of the single biggest advantages we have is that we're smaller that we can identify opportunities quickly we can react faster because of that and then we can bring to market quicker so we really look at that as a whole and it's all about moving incredibly fast. And I think in this day and age, uh, we need to move quickly. Um, the, the trends come fast and, and furious. The social media drives new ideas and new concepts and drives our customers uh, further and further sometimes from what we thought was the core trend. Uh, I'm a little shocked, honestly, to see unboxing still uh, uh, doing great, alive and kicking. That's been one of the longest trends that uh, that I've seen uh, in a long time because the industry has just moved more and more quickly. I totally agree. Yeah. Guys, this has been fantastic. Thank you both for coming on. Uh, how would you like people to reach out, connect with you? Uh, go to your website. Absolutely. Website, LinkedIn. Um, those are great opportunities. If you guys want to check out the new product, uh, Ziplinks and um, Gigabots, um, check them out on Amazon uh, right away. Uh, they are available as well as our website, um, liptoys.com. Bill, Peter, thank you for spending time with us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate the opportunity to discuss this. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Leave five stars and a written review as this helps us connect with more listeners just like you. Once you're subscribed, you'll be able to check out the other shows from Adventure Media and Events. And a big thank you to them. They are the publishers of the Toy Book, the Toy Insider, and the Pop Insider. We've got you covered on all toy industry news and events. This show is produced by Power Kid Design and Development. We are a full-service toy and game development studio serving the industry for more than 20 years. We provide illustration, branding, packaging, sculpting, prototyping, consulting, and much more. Check out PowerKidDesign.com or email me at phil at PowerKidDesign.com. Now go out and make something great. And remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless, and I'll see you next episode.